Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to an adventure in history. I'm Alana, here with Mac. And tonight, we have a very relaxed guest. Relaxed? I was kind of <laughs> curious what adjective. I know. She kept saying interesting guest, and I, was, I gave oh. her grief after about the... the I don't 110th know. 110th yeah. time or no. Yeah. <laughs> like four in a, a row. A background in words, and so. I use the word interesting too many times. Yes. But she, but she is interesting, too. I mean, that is why we have her here tonight. See, I had, I had a professor in college that I used interesting, and she ripped me to shreds. She's like, what's not interesting? Mm. Everything's interesting. That means nothing when you say this is interesting. Well, in journalism school, they actually say don't ever use any adjective. Wow. Ever, because it's leading, right? Interesting. So we have a guest here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So <laughs> I like I like her because she's laughing at my stupidity already. <laughs> so without saying who you are just yet, tell us one thing about you that um, may uh, introduce people to you again without saying who you are yet. Um, caring. 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 That is good. But that's not going to help anybody no. unless you recognize her voice. We do have Joelle Archibald here with us this evening. Welcome. Thank you so much. You are just dipping your toes into retirement. Um, we actually had to book you out, I think, two months to yes. get you here today. <laughs> yes, I retired um, from a long career on April 1st. So oh, Wow. Yay. And it wasn't an April Fool's joke and you showed up to no. work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the real thing. That was the day. Yes, although her colleagues might have wished. Yeah. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> so she's. we have a, all of her uh, background to talk about. Um, yes, we should get right to let's it. Let's do it. Because we, well, we do have Scandinavian Festival, but. Oh, yes. Scandinavian, so, and the unveiling of the Nordic Park. Nordic Park. It looks great. It looks beautiful. I really like the at night when it's kind of lit up. And I know what's under those covers. Do you know what's under the, <laughs> oh, yes. they have, uh, yes. Because well, we've had guests talking about we it. We have. But, oh, yes. And did, <laughs> we've had numerous guests. Yeah, there's a tease, folks. So if you don't know what's covered up still, because I think they're going to wait until that day. Yes. To uncover those, the last little part of it. And, and considering that the platforms that were there were an official Astoria Rotary Club project, I'm okay in making this, you know, getting rid of the, the viewing platforms and sure. replacing it with Nordic Park. It is, yes. it is definitely a step up. Well, and it's still a viewing area, <laughs> so, right? So it's I'm, I'm okay with that. Yes. Although, so, you know, it seems like everything that Astoria Rotary, the Astoria Rotary Club has their name on has been being torn down over the last five years. Warren well, Field. Was our big one of our big projects, yeah. and now it's gone. You're yeah. getting a little old, <laughs> and time for new projects, right? Exactly. Opportunities. Yes. Right? Yeah. All right. So let's get right to it. Uh, so these are things that happened tomorrow. Yep. Uh, so June thirteenth, uh, three twenty three BC. Oh my goodness! I know. I don't usually go back that far, <laughs> but I, you like to. I figured it was going to make you laugh. Um, Alexander the Great dies. Oh, okay. I just I, I'm always amazed at the parents that would name your kid Alexander the Great. <laughs> no. <laughs> He was only 33 years oh, old. Oh, interesting. Makes sense, though, yeah. right? I mean, that's probably pretty... Yeah. So, uh, 1774, Rhode Island becomes the first colony to prohibit the importation of slaves. Way to oh, go, Rhode Island. Yeah. Yes. R.I. Yep. Getting it done. 
All right. Uh, 1777, Lafayette arrives in South Carolina to serve alongside General Washington. Okay. We like Lafayette. Uh, 1866, the U.S. House of Representatives passes the 14th Amendment, Civil Rights. Yes. That was almost going to be my history highlight of the day, but then I realized, no, that's just the the House passing it. Right. It still has to go to all the states. Yes. So, um, because I had something else that you'll see in a minute. Okay. Uh, 1922, the U.S. Post Office says <laughs> children cannot be sent by parcel post. <laughs> I had that one too. I knew you'd love that. After oh. various instances. Because <laughs> it was cheaper. If they're under like 55 pounds, yep. it was cheaper just to send them via mail than put them on a train. And there's photos. Oh, tons of photos. Yes. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me laugh. Yes. All right. And I'm Terrible. glad it made all of you laugh too. Uh, 1933, something that's not funny. The German secret service, uh, secret state police, the Gestapo was established by Hermann Goering. Mm. Boo hiss. 1967, Thurgood Marshall was appointed to the Supreme Court. Oh. We did a whole show about the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I don't think we did a show about him though. We didn't. Maybe we should. Uh, 1971, the New York Times publishes the Pentagon Papers. Yep, that was a good one. Ooh, and suddenly we realize that maybe the government has not been forthcoming about what's going on in Vietnam. Yeah. So the beginning of the end, 1971. But our history highlight of the day, the thing I think had the most uh, impact on history, 1966, the Miranda rights are established. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like the background on this. Mm-hmm. On June 13th, 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, hands down its decision in Miranda versus Arizona, establishing the principle that all criminal suspects must be advised of their rights before interrogation. Now considered standard police procedure, because we've heard it all on TV and every movie we've ever seen, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed to you. Has been heard so many times in television, film dramas that has become almost cliche. The roots of the Miranda decision go back to March 2nd, 1963, when an 18-year-old Phoenix woman told police that she'd been abducted, driven to the desert, and raped. Detectives questioning her story gave her a polygraph test, but the results were inconclusive. However, tracking the license plate number of a car that resembled that of her attackers brought police to Ernesto Miranda, Mm -hmm. who had a prior record as a peeping Tom. Although the victim did not identify Miranda in a lineup, he was brought into police custody and interrogated. What happened next is disputed, but officers left the interrogation with a confession that Miranda later recanted, unaware that he didn't have to say anything at all. If he just watched more TV, he would have known. (laughs) The uh, confession was extremely brief and differed in certain respects from the victim's account of the crime. However, Miranda's appointed defense attorney, who was paid $100 in 1963, that's still not a lot of money in 63, uh, didn't call any witnesses at the ensuing trial, and Miranda was convicted. While he was in Arizona State Prison, the American Civil Liberties Union took on his appeal, claiming that the confession was false and coerced. The Supreme Court overturned his conviction, but Miranda was retried and convicted in October 1966, remaining in prison until 72. He was later stabbed to death in the men's room of a bar after a poker game in 76. But as a result of the case against Miranda, each and every person must now be informed of his or her rights when in custody and about to be interrogated. Yeah. So sorry it didn't work out for you, Miranda, but glad that we now have... I actually like it that he was guilty, They'd went about it the right way, right? Yes. I mean, so. We don't have to coerce him. Right. We can still get him. Yes. I mean. See, that's what I never understand about coercing somebody. Right. But if you've got the, the goods, you don't need to do that. Exactly. So. 
But anyway, our history holiday. What did I forget? Uh, 1979, the Sioux (laughs) Indians are awarded $105 million in compensation for the 1877 U.S. seizure of the Black Hills, beautiful Black Hills in South Dakota. So 1979. That's a lot. I mean, $105 It's a lot of money, but I also think, okay, for their, their, I believe they considered it sacred land. Correct. That they didn't get back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I mean, there's that too, but. Is that really fair? Is it? too fair is it not fair enough it's a step so i like at least the the acknowledgement yes oh for sure that this was your land we took it Mm -hmm. so the very least reconciliation it's a step in the right direction that was it (laughs) (laughs) and we are moving in the right direction um with jewel here tonight thank you for being with us and and welcome thank you for having me yes so you want to just start and tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you ended up here on the north coast Um, My husband and I ended up in the Northwest because I was a nurse um, in the U.S. Army Nurse Corps and stationed um, at what is now known as Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And then I got out of the military when we lived there, and my husband was in school. And uh, we began kind of searching for jobs and communities where we wanted to be. After he graduated from college, he from uh, pharmacy school at University of Washington, he had a great job, and I started a business in the Puget Sound area, and uh, that's a whole nother chapter of my life, and and was a very fulfilling professional uh, endeavor. But we had a big family, and we were looking at um, really prioritizing our family over our careers, and started looking for a better fit. We vacationed for a week in Neskowin, and shortly after that, a job for a pharmacist at Columbia Memorial opened up, and um, we began pursuing that. We wanted, we'd had a set of twins, and we have, they were our uh, fifth and sixth children. So, and our oldest daughter was not quite 12 when the twins were born. And so we looked for a place where I could stay home full time, and Lynn Sowry could support us and in a community that was really family-centered. So we very intentionally sought out the North Coast and sought out where we live now. I love that. It always makes me laugh, though, because I don't know if, if it's somehow the microphone just makes people nervous or they, 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 they don't want to really talk a lot but you skipped like over a whole lot like where did yeah, you I know. where did you grow up how did you're, how did you're you already become, married how did you become a nurse and and joining the military i know so so many questions i have um, so where did you grow up uh we're both from northern utah and uh, my mother was a nurse and from the time i was little i i remember being three years old and when people asked me i wanted to be a nurse when i grew up wow. um and i just followed that path she became aware of uh of a scholarship opportunity for nurses. Um, It was called the Walter Reed Army Institute of Nursing. And it was really an attempt by the military, by the Army Nurse Corps, to recruit um, students that would, uh, with a scholarship to college, that would then have some obligation back to the military. But because of their education and their loyalty to the military would be career um, choices uh, as military nurses. I chose not to stay for the whole career piece, but it was an incredible scholarship opportunity. Every incoming class, uh, the RAIN program, W-R-A-I-N was the acronym, um, selected students, two students from each state in the country. So there was an incoming class of 100 students every year. 
And uh, the first two years were at the college of my choice, so I attended a couple of different colleges in Utah. They had to, those universities had to have a nursing program, and I took prerequisites, but I wasn't in the nursing program. And then the second two years, I was stationed at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, and my nursing degree, my bachelor's degree, is from the University of Maryland, and all of the faculty were military officers and nurses, and great clinical experiences in the D.C. area. That was a, a great experience. That's amazing, and I'm, I'm amazed at, at only two per state. Was there a ton of competition for that? You or? know, I don't know how many applied from this from Utah when I was there. Um, if I would have known it was that competitive, I don't think I would have been brave enough to go for it. But it was just another one of the scholarships I was applying for, and I, I'm very, very thankful. I was inducted into the Army as a freshman in college, I, and I received a salary as an E1, an enlisted person, wow. as well as all my tuition paid and all my books and supplies paid. So I, I got a monthly check as well as all of those things. Sweet. Um, now, when something like that happens, do you also have, and, and I'm going to show my military ignorance here, did you have to go to any kind of a boot camp? Did you actually, or was it strictly, okay, I'm just wearing a uniform, yeah, I have a rank? Yeah, and, uh, well, never even wore a uniform, really, until we got to D.C. So in the first two years, not at all, no boot camp. But then as an officer, after I finished nursing school and was commissioned an officer, yes, there was an uh, officer basic course that I had to attend, which include, included orienteering and map stuff at night in the dark and hmm. jumping from helicopters and oh. being exposed to <laughs> wow. chemical weapons and defending against chemical weapons and those kinds of things. Oh my gosh. So, now where did you do that? In San Antonio. And you jumped out of a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> See, we learn all kinds of this things This is here. like one of those little, do, do you, all of your children know this? That you have jumped out of a helicopter? You know, I, someday they will appreciate history more than they do maybe now, right? Um, so, and then in I, my time in the military here um, in the Northwest, when I was stationed at Fort Lewis at Madigan Army Medical Center, my military specialty, or MOS, was uh, 88D8A. And so I was a neonatal intensive care or pediatric intensive care nurse. And so that's the part I worked on. And I worked in a uh, I worked on a transport team, a level three transport team that went and picked up babies by helicopter wow. or ambulance or whatever um, and brought them back to a larger medical center. So preemies born elsewhere and um, even by Air Force jets up to Alaska and back oh, um, okay. transporting oh. babies that needed the care at Madigan and then returning them home. So amazing. Yeah, that's very powerful. So where along the way, did, I mean, you said you and Lynn both came from northern Idaho. Did you know him then prior? We, we were in high school together. We oh, okay. knew each other from about ninth grade, and we were best friends in high school. Oh, I love that. And it wasn't until we started college that we decided maybe it was more than best friends. But, um, yeah. So then you both go different ways. No, we oh. got married very young. Okay. He went, we got married after my freshman year of college, and we went to college together in Utah for one year. And then when we moved back east, he majored in music therapy and went to school, worked part-time. He didn't graduate till he got to the University of Washington, kind of circuitous route, but ended up in pharmacy school at the University of Washington. Interesting. So it was going from northern Utah, which is very beautiful, mm -hmm. rugged country, to Walter Reed in <laughs> D.C., was there any culture shock in that? Or oh, was it I'm yeah. living in the big city? How <laughs> exciting? Or Yeah. Um, we had made arrangements for a place to live. And when we arrived in the area, 
the people that we were going to stay with weren't home. So we just said, let's just go downtown and see what it's like. <laughs> Boy, was that a naive assumption, right? Um, yes, both exposure to race and culture, uh, just a really, really different and such a positive thing for us coming from a, a pretty uh, segregated community. Uh, it was it was so good for us and so, something that I will always be thankful for to have races and cultures from all over the world involved in what I did and who I saw and, and was exposed to was a great experience. How long of a commitment did you have to give? To I had author? a three year commitment for the four year college degree and I stayed in a little bit longer oh. than that. Um, but they were sending I had been in a total of seven and a half years and they were sending a lot of nurses to Korea on unaccompanied tours for 18 months, which meant leaving children and husband at home. And we had just had our uh, third child by that time and I didn't want to risk having to do that. So I got out off of active duty and went into the reserves and I was active in reserves for a number of years. What a great deal. I know. But you also mentioned, you highlighted or skipped over uh, business that you said you ran. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, after I got out of the military, I went back to school on the GI Bill and, um, and got an MBA. And one of the courses in, uh, and the reason, the motivation behind that MBA was because I had seen so many nurses being promoted to managerial positions because they were really, really good clinically, but they didn't have the skills they needed at the managerial level. And I wanted to develop those skills and that knowledge. So, um, and then as a result of an elective I took during my MBA curriculum, I started my own business, which looking back again, I, I think I was a little naive. Uh, Washington State's Nurse Practice Act allowed nurses to uh, do things within the scope of their licensure and bill insurance companies independently, not having to go through a doctor. And so that's what I did. I set up a business that I could do things um, that were uh, under that standard and bill directly. And that had never been done in Washington State before and, and hardly ever in the country. And so I ended up doing a lot of consulting on nurse entrepreneurship and speaking at national conferences with other people who were interested in that concept, as well as uh, running this business, which was called the Warming Touch, um, and uh, interacting with moms and babies, really uh, monitoring preterm labor, uh, putting babies under phototherapy or bilirubin lights at home, uh, doing weight checks on babies that were failure to thrive, lactation consulting. I had nurses available 24 seven and covered the whole South Puget Sound area. It was really fulfilling, enjoyable work. So I love that. So yeah. a specialty, so you, I, I see a passion for children, children and education, certainly, because at this point in your life, how many children did you have? Well, we had six yeah. by the, by the time we moved to Oregon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so you're getting your MBA, you're starting your own business yeah. and raising six You're kids. raising all your children. <laughs> yeah. Your husband's going to college still. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. This is quite a, quite a success Impressive. story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Intimidating. I know. I love <laughs> Making it. Making me second guess all my choices in life. <laughs> yes. So then you come to Oregon. Yeah. Came to Oregon. Um, Stayed home with our kids for a little while until our daughters got kindergarten age, our, our twin little girls, and then went to work um, first in the Healthy Families program, which is a home visiting program uh, here in Clatsop County. 
and then moved into public health work with Clotsop County Public Health, um, again, doing home visiting programs, overseeing the immunization programs in public health, um, and have just done a variety of work with, with and for public health in different places since that time, until the job I just retired from, which was the Oregon Health Authority. My job title was an innovator agent, which is <laughs> kind of felt like up my alley when that job opportunity came up, and I did that for nine years. The innovator agents were involved directly with Oregon's Medicaid population and the changes that Oregon made um, to both improve care and um, make things more cost effective for the Medicaid population. So since you're retired and you're not going to step on any political landmines that would get you your job in trouble, <laughs> how, how do you think that the insurance program, Medicaid, or, or health system works as is, or do you see improvements that if you could snap your fingers, you would make? Oh, there's, I mean, yeah. I, I, I see improvements all the time. I think that's both a challenge and a blessing, right, that I see improvements, but they aren't always within my ability to control, right? Um, and that was one of the re both rewarding and frustrating things of working at the state level. So Joelle was uh, somebody that we leaned on when we started the Providence Healthy Smiles program, which was the children's mm. dental program mm. at, at Providence. Um, so, and yes, and she was a go she's been a go-to for uh, several of our employees, of course, um, through the years. So yeah, we were sad to see her go. <laughs> <laughs> but I know where to find her now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, so one thing too, you said Lynn started at Columbia Memorial, but he ended his career too at Providence. Yeah, he was at Columbia Memorial for some time. He's worked retail jobs here. He was at the old Holiday Drugstore with Frank oh, Stewart oh for a long time. And then Frank retired and sold that to high school pharmacy, and he worked for high school pharmacy, and then he came, he retired from Providence Seaside as a pharmacist. Yeah. It is rare for us to go out in public and people not recognize him, <laughs> and he hates like going into stores because people are very grateful for how he interacted with them. You can imagine over those many years and the many encounters that you have with people around their medical conditions and their sure. needs. So. How do you, do you, does he feel like he has to balance that, that he doesn't want to pretend like he doesn't know that person, yeah. but at the same time, you know, I'm not really supposed to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's challenging. And, you know, fortunately it, people are always grateful and always complimentary. Um, mm -hmm. He's just, he, he has this way of acknowledging people's needs that's so respectful and everyone that knows him loves him. So. Well, it sounds like both of you are very well-loved in the community. So uh, I, I definitely hear some themes here, like we had talked about. Um, but you have this passion for advocacy for children for maternal, maternal health. Where did that come from? Um, you know, I think that period of time in someone's life, in a couple's life or in a woman's life, is so unique. Because it's one time that they reach out to access health care that they are really receptive to the information that's provided to them, that they want to do the right thing for a baby and during a pregnancy. They want to have a healthy baby. They want to, um, and, and sometimes that um, inspires them to make courageous moves that they haven't been able to accomplish in the rest of their lives, to leave a violent relationship and thinking about their future for this baby, or to, and I, I've been so blessed to have the opportunity to be part of a, a a seeking 
drug treatment, drug and alcohol treatment, for women that have had children taken by DHS because of previous drug-involved parenting, mm -hmm. and now to find themselves pregnant and say, I want to raise this baby, I want to get clean. I and so it, it is such a formative time of life and um, such a critical, uh, impactful time for that infant and young child. We know now the science of ACEs or adverse childhood experiences what happens to a very, very young child stays with them through their life and in some ways paints the picture of their future health. Um, so adverse experiences for children shape their destiny and, and we want every child to, to start life in the best possible environment and opportunity. So I'm just, I'm really, really passionate about that. Was that something that you saw from your family or um, role models in your life? Not so much from, I mean, I had a very close and loving family. I, I, you know, for me, hearing about the trauma that mm. children experience or knowing children who have gone through really difficult um, situations, I, I, that makes me hurt because my life was such a privileged one in such a sense that I had two parents who I knew loved each other and loved me. I had siblings that loved each other and loved me um, and still do. And... And so I, we have a song in our church, and the title of it is Because I Have Been Given Much, I Too Must Give. I think if there's a motivation for me, it's that I've had these things in my life and how powerful they've been for me and how I feel like every family and every child should have and that chance. That's wonderful. You know, I just can't picture you as such a, a spokesperson for these organizations you've been involved in. You just, you're, you're very inarticulate and it's very hard for you to say yeah. what you think. <laughs> wow, I would put you in front of a camera or a newspaper. I want to snag or, her up that, and that is amazing. put and, and you she, on all my And it's not like she was reading that. That was I just know. a question from the heart. Bam. Wow. Oh, well, That's, you, you definitely had the right career. And uh, even even though everyone deserves a retirement, you probably should be like called back all the time. I know. <laughs> It's gonna happen. I, I do not. Happen. I do not feel good for whoever replaced you. I feel badly for them. Well, Alana and I were talking before. Uh, you know, it, that leap into retirement is a challenging one for a lot of people. Because, and for me, it's what what should I be doing now? How should I be giving now? Right? It's very different. Finding than, new avenues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Than working uh, long, long hours and passionate about a job that I loved. Right. What should I be doing now? So I, I have a feeling that you will find those avenues very easily. Oh, this is now my goal to get her <laughs> You're involved with her my somehow. programs. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> before what this really anyone else does. Yep. Well, what what do you switching gears here? We got about two minutes left. Mm -hmm. um, what do you, you you chose to come here? You very deliberately make that choice. So what what made you fall in love with this region, this area, and what keeps you here? Uh, you know we. Uh, we were looking for a very community, a tight community focus um, for our children. Um, you know, we, we moved here and our kids could walk to the little Gearhart Elementary School. We had kids in high school and, and because of the size of our family and our family values, six kids are a noticeable impact on the community and our kids were not, our boys were not small. So <laughs> everybody knew who the Archibald boys were and we would get a phone call saying, I saw your son's car at so-and-so's house and I don't think you'd want him there. And, oh. I, and we'd say, yes, you're absolutely right. So that's both good and bad. The connectedness of community, it takes a village, right, to raise a, mm -hmm. a family or to raise a child. And we were 
always thankful for those close relationships. We have chosen to stay because of that community sense. We know people, we have developed cherished relationships here. We will never leave. And so a lot of people in retirement look at, okay, where can we go next? We will never leave. In fact, a few years ago, we did a pretty major addition onto our house <laughs> to accommodate our crowds of kids and grandkids when they come home, which is counter to any advice they tell you approaching retirement. Don't, don't build a bigger house. But um, So that's where we want to be for the rest of our lives. Well, we wonderful. And welcome to the next adventure in your mm -hmm. life. Thank you. And Thank I'm you. just shocked that I've never run across you before. I wish I had because you are an amazing, dynamic person to, oh, that you. is just inspiring by everything you say. Well, the good news is she just said she's not going anywhere. That's right. Yeah. She's retired. So <laughs> yep. all, all the organizations on the coast can there reach we go. out. I'll be here. <laughs> Thank you, Joelle. Thank you. All right. Go make some history. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.